Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The following is a true story. I had a lady that was in her mid-70s, and I'd sold her timeshare, and that was the lowest I'd ever felt in my life. I knew then that I had to do something to simply not to go to hell for selling timeshare. Chuck McDowell founded Wesley Financial Group to help folks cancel their timeshares permanently. Called her and everybody that I'd sold timeshare to, and I said, this is what I said to you that was a lie, and this is what you need to do to cancel your timeshare. From that point, people started referring friends to me to help them cancel the timeshare, and that's how it all started. I fought the world's largest timeshare company in federal court. If I had lost that lawsuit, there would be no one helping people that have been lied to when they bought timeshare. If we take you as a client, we will cancel your timeshare or we'll give your money back. That's what makes us different. Call Wesley Financial Group now for a free information kit. 800-885-4884. That's 800-885-4884. 800-885-4884. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined this time by Brendan, who couldn't join us for the Craig Kimbrell exclusive special edition that I recorded on Wednesday night with Evan Altman of CubsInsider.com. But we're glad to have Brendan joining us once again, aren't we, loyal listeners? Uh, But we are coming to you on a Thursday evening after the Cubs have finished up their three-game set, taking two of three from the visiting Colorado Rockies. They also take Monday's makeup game with the LA Angels of Anaheim, or whatever they call themselves these days. So all told, the Cubs win three of four since we last spoke. So we will break down uh, what happened in those four games, the news and notes there. We will also be discussing, even though we did a special edition on his signing, uh, we will be discussing Craig Kimbrell, who will be joining the Cubs as soon as possible uh, to be their closer. That deal, uh, you know, becoming official, pending the physical Uh, But Craig Kimbrell will be the closer for the Chicago Cubs, so we will talk more about that and go a little more in-depth than Evan and I were able to in that short episode on exactly the roles we want to see some of these guys playing and and ultimately how we'd like to see this Cubs bullpen shake out. But, Brendan, I want to bring you in here before I I, I do a quick little recap of these four games. I'll keep it short because it's four games uh, and not all even in the same series. But I just want to make sure you did see John Lester get a swinging strikeout of Mike Trout in Monday afternoon's game. 
Yeah, it was on an outside cutter too, that trademark John Lester outside cutter. That's how you know he's on, Corey. And I gotta ask you, how many times have you watched that highlight video of Lester striking out Trout? Uh, let's just call it several, Brendan. I, I'm several? not sure. I mean, like, like, like over 20? Oh, yeah. I mean, I have it on a, oh, I yeah? have it in GIF form, so it doesn't keep tally of the views like a video, but it just keeps... You just sit there for yeah, like 15 minutes nonstop. Yeah, it just keeps replaying. That's the beauty of a GIF. So it's kind of endless. Uh, but yeah, I did enjoy that. You know, jammed him in that first at-bat. Trout did get him uh, in, in that, uh, I think, last at-bat against Lester there. He wasn't going to be uh, put down for long. But John did did very well against him uh, in the early portion of that game. And yeah, I, I, I think I texted you right away, Brendan, like, John Lester just struck Mike <laughs> Trout out swinging. Uh, we're going to be watching that one for a while. So um, yeah. with that, let me jump into a quick recap of these games just to sort of set the table here, and then we will uh, resume talking about Craig Kimbrell, who I would imagine will be uh, a, a big focal point of this podcast here. But again, the Cubs winning 8-1 to one against the Angels in that makeup game from that series earlier in the year at Wrigley Field. This was the one that the Cubs didn't win in that stretch of 10 series where they didn't lose one. So I think by all accounts, Brendan, we can just call this another series win and and say that they Mm -hmm. won 10 in a row. I think I'm cool with that. Let's just call it that. Uh, They do take two of three, technically, from the Angels in this series. Uh, But the Cubs... Getting the win here on the strength of the aforementioned John Lesser, who has a very nice rebound start. And the Cubs getting their runs in this one. The big inning was the bottom of the six. The Cubs scoring five runs. They entered the inning up one to nothing. They leave the inning up six to nothing. They get those runs on a Javi double, a Hayward double, a Russell Sack fly, and a Kyle Schwarber single. Later in the game, Javi and Wilson would add their 14th and 13th homers, respectively. Again, 8-1, to one, the final on Monday. On Tuesday, the Cubs winning 6-3 to three behind the arm of one Kyle Hendricks, who improves to 6-4. and four. Another gem from the professor, guys. He is rolling. Seven innings, six hits, three earned, one walk, and 10 strikeouts for Kyle Hendricks. And he was, as usual, very demonstrative in his uh, celebration and, you know, showing that emotion, of course, as he was getting those 10 strikeouts. And by that, I mean he showed absolutely no emotion and uh, barely cracks a smile. So, you know, yeah, there's a little bit of a smile. A little on his bit. Base hit, yeah. There's a, there's a, he cracked a little bit. A little bit. bit. Yeah. But uh, he improves to six and four on the season. The Cubs getting their runs in this one. They trailed one to nothing after the top of the first. But the new addition, the other new addition, Carlos Gonzalez tied the game with a double. Kyle Hendricks with a single to put the Cubs ahead. Kyle Schwarber would add his 11th home run. Javi with his 15th. And in the bottom of the eighth, Cargo with a little situational hitting. Guys love to see it on a sack fly that made it six to three. And again, the Cubs. Winning six to three, Strope back in the Cubs bullpen. This is his first game back on Tuesday. He picks up his fifth save of the season. Uh, so very good to see friend of the podcast Pedro Strope back out there on the Wrigley Field mound. Possibly best friend of the podcast. Yes, yes. Uh, he and I exchange DMs on Instagram frequently, and and I that's not a joke. It's it's actually pretty frequent. Um, but those are private, so that's all I'm going to say. Uh, on Wednesday, the Cubs winning 9-8 to to secure a series victory over the Rockies. This was a wacky game, uh, the David Bodie game. David Bodie has seven RBIs in this game, obviously a career high. Hugh Darvish was good in this one, but the Rockies battling early and running up the pitch count uh, didn't let him get past the sixth inning. He goes five and a third, three hits, two earned runs, three runs allowed total, three walks, and five strikeouts. Uh, well, we'll talk about this a little further into the podcast, but this is a good start from Darvish. He, you know, They ran up the pitch count. They got him out of there early, but this was a good outing for him, and he should have gotten his first win at Wrigley Field, uh, but in that six innings, things fall off the rails as the Rockies score three times to tie this game at three, but then in the bottom of the six, a Rizzo single, a Wilson Contreras hit by pitch, and a David Bodie bases clearing double made it eight to three. The Cubs bullpen uh, decided to make this one interesting for 
some reason. Uh, the, the majority of the that damage coming against Brad Brock, who gives up four runs on three hits and a walk in a third of an inning, pushing his season ERA to 5.11. Brendan, as we have talked about with other things, that is not going to play uh, if you are comparing that to other things. Uh, And the Cubs would pick up the game-winning run on a David Bodie single that made it 9-7 to at the time. The Rockies would get one in the top of the ninth, but Steve Ciszek would lock down his sixth save of the year. And again, 9-8 the final on Wednesday. On Thursday, stop me if you've heard this one before, but a young pitcher making his debut uh, shut down the Cubs. It feels like something that anecdotally, maybe this is totally made up, but it certainly seems like a lot of us feel like this is a thing with the Cubs throughout a portion of our lives. Uh, But the Rockies, Lambert goes seven strong, allowing only four hits and one earned run while striking out nine in his major league debut. Jose Quintana was really good in this game, but unfortunately not good enough for this offensive performance. So he goes seven and a third, six hits, three earned, no walks, and four strikeouts. He falls to four and five. But like I said, not really a loss that you are hanging on Jose by any means. His season ERA at 3.77 now, so he is in a really good stretch of pitching for the Cubs. And the Cubs getting their lone run on a Javi single in the sixth, and I assume you guys do not care how the Rockies scratched across those three runs. So the Rockies salvage the rubber match here, and again, the Cubs take two or three from Colorado. They win the makeup game with the LA Anaheim Angels, again, whatever they're called, but a, a pretty good week so far for the Cubs, Brendan. Um, you know, I think they, they looked all together very good in these games. The offense was there for, for three of the four games, and they got shut down by a guy uh, making his debut. It, it It's going to happen, but I think given the performance of the team, uh, you know, coming back from that sweep at the hand of the Cardinals and, you know, getting right back after it at Wrigley Field while getting Strope back in the bullpen and obviously making the, the, the biggest splash of their off season, even though it was in June when they made the move, uh, a pretty exciting week here. I think it's a, uh, as Pat Hughes would say, a turning point. Mm. But this one in this season, I think we may look back at this week in particular, and it does have the potential to be a turning point. I mean, we have Pedro Strope coming back. We have Carlos Gonzalez making his Cubs debut. We have Craig Kimbrell being signed. It was a very big week. And on top of that, David Bodie had a fantastic game, a seven RBI game, Corey. That's insane. And everything just looked like, you know, normal Cubs, so to speak. You, you, you expect good offense top to bottom. You saw that. You saw Javi have a great series. He looks healthy. He said his heel is not bothering him anymore. We're seeing good at-bats from the rest of the team. Rizzo looked sharp. Uh, Overall, it was really comforting, I I think. And while the Cubs did almost blow that second game of the Rockies series, it does remind you why Craig Kimbrell is so important. And you just imagine, imagine seventh, eighth, ninth innings with whatever, whether it's Cizek or Strope in the seventh, and then Cizek or Strope in the eighth, and you follow it up with Craig Kimbrell. It gives you such a sense of comfort. So I think overall this this could have be this could be a turning point in the season that we look back to at the end of the year. And since we, you know, spent that whole special edition episode, if you if you don't know what I'm talking about, Evan Altman and I from CubsInsider.com got on Wednesday night to record about a twenty-five minute episode just talking about the Craig Kimbrell signing, kind of like an instant reaction, quick breakdown. So if you want to hear that, you can certainly listen to that. It's in the Cubs related podcast feed. Uh, but before we we get further into detail on that, we didn't really talk that much about the uh, you know call up and like addition of Carlos Gonzalez. So did you have any just like quick thoughts on that? Because I think uh, you know we had talked about kind of not being super thrilled with the bench options, the guys like Zagunas, especially if he's going to be called up just to sit on the bench and not really be allowed to do anything. Guys like Aducci, we've belabored the Descalso point at this point, uh, you know, to this degree, but it hasn't really gotten any better. So at least for me, I was glad to see it. You know, you never know if a guy like that has nothing left in the tank and, you know, then so be it. But you're bringing over a guy who certainly has a 
good pedigree at the major league level. He was an all-star, you know, as recently as 2016, and not that that's, you know, a, a, a metric that we would necessarily judge guys on, but it obviously means he was contributing in a significant way. So I think you take a flyer on it. He's he's uh, a good defender. He showed that on Monday with a really great catch to save some extra runs off of uh, John's ERA. So obviously I'm already a little bit uh, indebted to him. Yeah. yeah, but I, I think it, it it you know sort of fits with what we were talking about. It's kind of a response of maybe this guy doesn't have anything left, but let's take a look and see because the the the, op, the depth that we had before that you know and are still kind of working with not good enough. And and so, you know, you 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 take some flyers on guys and, and see what might stick. No, I, I like it. I, the, the good thing about this is that they're taking the opportunity here in early June. So if this was a deal made around the end of July with the anticipation that Carlos Gonzalez has to be that extra depth piece, then it might be a little bit more of an issue. Not that this is an issue at all, but in terms of addressing the Cubs outfield depth problem, it is a problem. Doing so in early June is ideal, and I think with uh, Gonzalez, yeah, there's a lot to like there. Expecting him to be good is one thing, but at least being optimistic about what he could provide is another thing. Mm -hmm. And even as early as last year, he had a good year, Corey. He had a three thirty-eight weighted on weighted on base average. He batted two seventy-six. He had sixteen homers in five hundred and four plate appearances. That was worth basically two war. So he was slightly above uh, a league average player given his plate approach or his plate appearance sample size. To think all of a sudden within one year he's going to be garbage or rather what he was with Cleveland, I don't think that's the case. I'm not saying he's going to be the same guy as last year, but maybe somewhere in the middle. And if he is, if he is even just slightly below league average, having that as your depth piece is valuable. And I think there's a lot to like. One, he is a veteran. Two, he does have good defense. He played in Colorado in one of the most difficult ballparks for outfielders to play in, given those gaps. And we saw in that one diving catch what that type of awareness has for Wrigley, where the gaps can be a little bit difficult to read with the wind. Gonzalez seems to be already comfortable out there. So I do like it. And it is like deep down inside, you do have this optimism because he was so good not even four or five years ago. He does have the potential to have, you know, 15 to 25 homers in, in 500 plate appearances. He has a good approach. He has that veteran mindset. So I do like it. Now, I'm not expecting a lot out of it, but I'd rather see him play than, you know, Aducci or Zagunis or whoever they call up. For the short term, it's worth the not even a it's not even a risk right. it's worth the idea it's worth the experiment i think yeah absolutely and even just in the in the brief games that he's played you know i think he shows what he might be able to bring to the table in that first game he goes one for three with a single he takes a walk obviously makes that big catch in the outfield then in uh tuesday's game against the rockies he comes back with that double over the center fielder's head and gets a sack fly you know which you know we've obviously heard a lot be made about the cubs hitting with runners in scoring position or executing executing in those situations. So I think for him to come over, rip a couple balls, take some walks, make a good catch, hit situationally like I you know I think what more would you want from the guy coming over in in you know a short stint here and I think right. at the very least he gives you an option off the bench even if he were a last guy off of the bench he's someone you can look at and and really honestly say okay we're down two or three we need a couple guys on base and somebody to run into one right and yeah. pop one and i think you, you know that belief or that that wish is more realistic with someone like carlos gonzalez than it is with someone like daniel descalso right no doubt and yeah and i think one one key attribute of Gonzalez is that professionalism. And we, we talked about it with Descalso and seeing that the first two weeks. We have not seen that since. But we, we talk about these veterans mm-hmm. and, their, and their professional at-bats. For Gonzalez, here's one like number that really stands out that shows that professionalism. So Cargo only has like a 70% contact rate. He usually hovers around that his entire career, which is far below the major league average. It's not good, but he, he's usually a power hitter, so it's fine. But his strikeout rate, Corey, his strikeout rate is 2% better than league average. So that suggests that while he does not make a lot of contact, he's not going to strike out because he has some type of 
ability to extend at bats, or some situational awareness, or the fortitude to not waste in a bat via the strikeout. So I think that does show he has this awareness. He has the awareness of of making the most of his plate appearances, which I think is going to be something that Joe really likes, and he's already talked about it, Corey. After, uh, I think, Tuesday's game, maybe, Cargo was quoted as saying that Javi Baez, he's just the most exciting player in baseball. Yeah, he, he gets it. Yeah. He's already fitting in So, right you know, like if we that. were looking for kind of just a quick, like, is this guy going to fit? Uh, you know, we can call it like the El Mago test. Like, do you understand... <laughs> you know, what El Mago is yeah. and and do you understand the value of Javi Baez? And it's just a litmus test. Like, is this going to work or not? Yes, he is the most exciting player in baseball. Perfect answer. Great. He, it's part of the scouting report. Yeah, if you say no, it. then it's it's done. Yeah. If he, you say no that Javi Baez is not the most exciting player, then you're automatically right. just excluded from We've the got a problem. conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So let's transition here to Craig Kimbrell, uh, who we are awaiting when he will officially join the Cubs. And, you know, we'll see if he gets out on a, uh, you know, minor league stint first or whatever their exact course of action is with him. Uh, but Brendan, since we didn't get your initial reaction last night, I don't even want to know what was more important than talking about Craig Kimbrell, but I'll assume it was very serious. But I do want to get just your initial reaction. We talked, I think, uh, you know, maybe the episode prior or two episodes prior that once the draft pick compensation was gone, unless he was asking for some obscene contract, you know, over a certain number of years that, you know, might create problems down the road, that this was kind of a no-brainer for them to at least be kicking the tires on and getting involved in. Um, and that is what happens. And they get him on, you know, what looks like probably uh, a bargain uh, for it's a bargain. one of the best closers in Major League history. So just give me your, you know, your kind of like instant reaction when you, you saw the Ken Rosenthal tweets and now that you've had a, a little bit of time to let that marinate. When they announced the signing, you're thinking, okay, you know, it's a multi-year deal at the minimum, at the minimum, $45 million. And that's exactly what it sort of turned out to be. So they're paying him a guaranteed 43 under $15 million per year, Corey. So they're paying him less than Wade Davis and Mark Melanson, not only per year, but overall for the sum of the contract. And it's no joke, or I mean, he's way better than those two guys, right? So it is a bargain, and it it addresses every single void that they currently have. And I mean that literally every void they have, because there is, as you mentioned with Evan, a trickle-down effect. So you have not only a more elongated bullpen, but now you have the ability to maybe rest your starters and not force them to go deeper into the game. We saw, for example, with you, Darvish, having to go into the eighth inning when he shouldn't have been into the eighth inning about two starts ago. So it does have these consequences, and it gives Joe a lot of flexibility to now help the development of younger pitchers. And one guy comes to mind is Dylan Maples, and we'll see what happens when the roster shakes up, when guys like Tony Barnett comes back and Xavier Sedanio and so on. But Joe was just recently quoted saying the next time he talks to Dylan Maples, he doesn't want to tell him that he's going to be going back to Iowa. He wants it to be a permanent thing. So rather than having someone like Dylan Maples go into a high leverage situation, he doesn't have to do that possibly anymore. Now you can go with Carl in the sixth or Cizek earlier than usual, and you can play kind of a fireman role earlier in the game that does have value two other guys. And that's the big takeaway for me right now is that is going to give the Cubs a lot more depth and I think promote the development of additional pitchers where by the time the trade deadline comes around, maybe you don't need to go out and make another deal. Maybe now you have the ability for the next seven weeks to experiment and to see what other pitchers could step up. So of course, like yeah, Kimbrell throws upwards to 100 miles per hour his velocity gradually increased as 2018 increased. He did have a walk problem. Hopefully that's addressed. The Cubs seem to be comfortable with that issue. It's a slam dunk. I don't I don't see one area where, as a fan, you can be displeased with that. Maybe you're thinking, oh, maybe that, that limits the Cubs financially in future years. But again, it's under $15 million. 
this should not be prohibitive whatsoever. It's an incredible deal, Corey, for for every reason, in addition to just getting a Hall of Fame closer, it has a substantial effect on the rest of the team. It's your home speaking, and I need you to do me a couple of favors. First, could you get that blueberry that rolled under the fridge last week? It's throwing my feng shui off. Second thing, bundle your home and car insurance with GEICO. It's easy, and we could save money. Lastly, I know you were thinking of painting the nursery back to off-white, but I'm actually feeling this baby blue. Didn't think it was my color, but I am pulling it off. GEICO. For bundling made easy, go to GEICO.com today. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was Sadev Sharma from The Athletic who is one of, if not the best, on, on the Cubs beat and he was sharing some quotes from John Lester, who uh, hopefully you guys have heard of. And they were just expressing how this type of move really showed the clubhouse that the front office looks at this group and says, this is a group that we expect to contend for the World Series. And obviously with where the Cubs are in their development and just as an organization since 2015, obviously that's sort of the expectation every year. But what John was getting at was just like a specific move like that right now sends a signal to the clubhouse that this front office is not messing around. They believe in this group a lot. And when they see an area that needs to be improved to take it to that next level, they're going to make it happen. And, you know, look, you can certainly argue that they should have done this in the off season. You can certainly argue that, you know, it's likely something to do with the Zobrist money if he's not going to come back or at least not getting paid while he's absent that allows them to do that. And though that all might be true, but they made the move and nobody else did. So, you know, I don't know why we would need to really like stick on that point. They made the move. And I think that that's something that, you know, can't really be overstated enough that these types of moves hopefully really galvanize the group like you are bringing in literally a guy who ha- is is a near the top of the saves leaderboard in major league history like <laughs> that's the type of guy you're bringing in if that doesn't send a jolt through the clubhouse like really light a fire under everybody and and that's not to say that there wasn't one already but this should really send that message to the clubhouse. Like everybody in this organization has the expectation that this group is going to do special things and we're going to make the moves to continue allowing that to happen. So it was it was cool to just read those quotes from Lester. There was uh, some other quotes from Schwarber talking about how he had gotten word of it and the fans were yelling at him from the bleachers when he went out to left field and he, you know, did the the Craig Kimbrell hunch or whatever it, it's called. Yeah, I'm not sure that. the exact word for it, but you, you guys know what it's I'm talking about. It's almost like wings. Like the, he kind of like wings. The, it's weird. The Kimbrell kind of thing, we'll, we'll call the it. The thing, thing. that we'll he does, you know, yeah. um, very eloquent way of, of explaining it. But, you know, Schwarber said that he did that in left field and some of the guys like Ciszek in the bullpen saw him doing it and they started to put two and two together that that must mean, you know, word is going around that uh, they were going to sign him. Because obviously the, the tie, you know, the, the fire started getting really hot earlier in the day. So I think once you start seeing a guy like Schwarber doing that, it's pretty easy to put two and two together. Like, oh, okay, this, this, this must really be happening. And to hear the quotes from Strope earlier in the week, and like I said, C-Sheck here, like everybody's excited about this. And of course, right. you know, guys like C-Sheck and Strope are not going to come out and say, well, I like being the closer. Like, I'm not happy about this, even if they felt that way. But you do get the sense from these guys that their attitude, especially, you know, Strope, we know this about him, like, he wants to win. They want to win another championship. They want the Cubs winning the World Series. That is what is important to them. And everybody just seems jazzed about this. And and I think that it, it carries over into the fans and, and the organization as a whole that this is a big move. You're bringing in a big name 
to address an area of, of need and concern. And I, I think you can really feel kind of like that shockwave that, that gets sent through the organization. But Brendan, I, I want to get like, let, let's, let's talk specifically about kind of the, the ripple effect that this has. And, and this is something we talked about before they brought in Kimbrel, before even we were talking about Kimbrel. We, we kind of talked about the potential of a, a ripple effect for any high leverage reliever that might be brought in. But I, and, and I, I bring it up again. I know we've talked about it, uh, you know, maybe fairly frequently over the last few weeks, but I, I don't think that we can oversell the importance of this. So that's why I really want to dig into this. And you already kind of started this conversation with Dylan Maples, but I want to look at at somebody else. And that's Carl Edwards Jr., who in his last seven appearances, the the seventh being Thursday against the Rockies, the game after uh, or before we're recording this podcast, uh, in his last seven appearances, he has pitched a total of seven innings. He has allowed one hit in those seven appearances, one unearned run, so zero earned runs, eight strikeouts, and one walk. So the reason, obviously, those are great. So I bring those up because those are great numbers, and it's very good to see Carl succeeding. But the reason I bring it up in the context of this conversation is... You when whenever he gets here, right? I think Jeff Pass Evan read that tweet from Jeff Passan last night that you know he, maybe he could be ready toward the end of June, like June twentieth or, or somewhere in that neighborhood, depending on the exact schedule the Cubs want him on. But if you have Kimbrel as your closer, which he's going to be, Strope, Cshek, the the two guys below him, you know you can slot them in as as particularly Cshek in the seventh or Strope in the eighth, but I don't know that it'll be that rigid. But either way, those are your two next guys. Your those are your three main high leverage guys. If you can have someone like Edwards pitching like this, but not in a situation where you need him to be that high leverage guy, which I think is where you see that that trouble show up earlier in the year, right? And he ends up getting sent down. And part of that reason is he was all over the place, of course, and they wanted him to adjust that. Obviously, he's told to, uh, you know, rework his delivery after trying in all spring training. So there's a lot of factors here. But a key for him now is that you don't need him to be a high-leverage, elite, lights-out guy. He can be your fourth, fifth, whatever guy out of this bullpen, and that takes a ton of pressure off of him. And maybe he can work his way back into that group and and even start out-pitching guys like C-Sheck and Strope. That would be phenomenal. But I think the importance for someone like him that has dealt with the command problems and, you know, just sort of falling apart in certain outings, the importance for him to be able to be a successful piece of this bullpen, but not necessarily be so heavily relied on, like the bullpen hinges on whether he can be that high leverage guy, that elite level top tier reliever, I think is huge for someone like Carl. And I think you're seeing that in the results that he's gotten since coming back from Iowa. And then you look at someone like Brandon Kinsler. Brandon Kinsler was, you know, has been very good for this team, I think to a lot of people's surprise. But early in the year, you're asking him to be something that I, I don't really think that he is. And I don't think he's, again, that, that high leverage, top tier, elite reliever. But now, if he's in that group with Carl, where maybe he's your fourth or fifth most trustworthy guy in that pen, you can look at him and you, you've got, okay, like it's a little earlier. I don't want to go to the high leverage guys now, but I need a strikeout. I need some whiffs. Okay, let's try Carl. That's a good spot for Carl. Or in a different scenario, I need a ground ball and I need it right now. Now you can go to Kinsler. So you can use these guys in situations that they are best suited for rather than looking at them and saying, look, we need somebody besides Steve Ciszek, especially while Strope is out, to pick up high leverage innings. And Steve can't, even though they tried, pitch every single day, right? So the ability to take those guys from, look, we kind of need some of you to to be these high leverage, like put out the fire guys, to now being able to focus more on their strengths and what they can do best for this bullpen. Again, I, I really don't think that we can oversell the importance of adding Kimbrel, getting Strope healthy, and the 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 trickle down ripple effect, whatever you want to call it, that it has on this entire bullpen. 
Carl's not throwing as fast as he used to, which could be a concern, or maybe it's an effect of him trying to own in on that command. Regardless, what's happened is he's not getting the same amount of whiffs as before. But again, it's more of a balanced thing. It's like, okay, do you sacrifice some whiffs for improved command and fewer walks? Mm -hmm. But with Carl in 2016, batters whiffed on his fastball once every three swings. Now, right now, it's basically cut in half. So they're only whiffing, you know, maybe about two times every 10 swings. So it's a lot fewer than what you're normally expected to see from Carl. And that's because he's throwing about one mile per hour slower. Again, maybe that's intentional. Maybe that's him wanting to just command pitches better. And I'm fine with that. And maybe once he gets more comfortable, then the velocity will start to increase. But I think you brought up the the perfect point right there. It's that now he doesn't have to figure this out in the eighth inning in the seventh inning. Now he can go into fifth inning, the sixth inning, and continue to be comfortable. But I think ever since he's been back from AAA, he's looked better. I know the the results right away were not good, right? He was blowing games again, giving up some hard hit contact. It just did not look good. But at the same time, he was still throwing strikes, which was kind of the goal of him going back to Iowa. So I, I like what I'm seeing from Carl. I'm a little greedy. I would like to see that velocity go up. I would like to see the whiffs go up. But I think with him, just more of a patience thing needs to be uh, exerted when when trying to figure out what he can be. And by July or in a few weeks, maybe the velo starts to tick back up. Once he gets these mechanics, you know, kind of fine-tuned, obviously what we're seeing is maybe a little bit more of a hunched over version of himself. We've seen a few people talk about it. Overall, I think it's I think it's encouraging. Again, I just want to see more whiffs. That's what it comes down to. Now with Kinsler, yeah, like you're saying, you know, maybe you need a, a double play. He comes into fifth inning, the sixth inning, and he doesn't have to be that eighth inning guy anymore. And that's, that's what we're all saying with this trickle down is one, it does help you develop pitchers, but it does maximize the utility of what you got right now, and it makes the best out of everyone. I think instantly, Corey, once Kimbrell's on this team, you're going to see a lot of the other guys and their numbers go right back up to what they've been in their career. They're going to get back into a role that they've been accustomed to to, to be doing. So I think it's it's a huge, it's a huge lift for the rest of the guys. And I'm excited to see what Carl could do in, in a little bit more of a consistent role, uh, getting used to these situations that are not high leverage so you can iron some things out. And by hopefully July, August, you're looking at a bullpen with four guys with Carl and Strope and Cizek and Kimbrell who could be top tier relievers. I mean, we've seen them at some point, all these guys in their career, they've been top tier relievers. To get them going all at once, all of a sudden you're looking at only a decent bullpen, but I mean, maybe I'm a little bit too optimistic, but that Corey literally could be one of the best bullpens in the league. You get those four guys going at their best. It's up there. It really is. Right. And I, and I wouldn't be surprised to see another addition by the time the trade deadline rolls around. Certainly not as significant as, as Craig Kimbrell. I'm not sure that that's, you know, there's many options that would be that significant anyway. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them add, you know, someone else that can be considered for high leverage spots. And again, like no one's counting on it, but you, you do. I would be surprised, actually. I would be surprised. I think what you have right now, you have three guys. You have seventh, eighth, and the, and the ninth inning locked down. So they go out there and trade from your depleted farm system for what? Like, maybe more backups to the seventh inning guy. I I don't really see that happening. And I do expect one guy in addition to those three step up, whether it's Carl, whether it's Maples getting more of an opportunity, whether it's Barnett or Cedeno coming back. I, I do expect someone to step up, which I think won't make the Cubs go out and get another guy. That's just my perception. But I would be shocked, Corey, if they go out and get another high leverage reliever. I would be shocked. Yeah, that, that's that's certainly fair. I, I I don't know that I would be shocked, but I, I was just saying the possibility seems to be out there. But you know, again, also like nobody's counting on him, and I'm not telling you to. But you do sort of start to toss around the idea that even if it were late, late in the season, like if Brandon Morrow were able to sneak back in there, <laughs> right? 
And then you're Correct. able to do something with Kimbrel, Moro, Strope, and Cshek. Even if Moro was able to go it. once a week, right? Like whatever mm. it is, that one game you'd have a hell of a bullpen, right? And and so you do sort of start to kick that idea around Moro's throwing off a flat ground. I think we'll see, right? Again, don't count on that. Don't hold your breath on that. We've been through this multiple times already with him. The sort of start and stop at the rehab, but you do sort of start to entertain the idea and it's a fun it's a fun little thing to entertain when you start to think of what the back end of the bullpen could be if he's able to uh get back and healthy again but yeah all of a sudden you have guys who are going to throw 100 miles per hour right, right. you have uh maple as you have Campbell, obviously cj with his velocity and then morrow all of a sudden you go from a contact oriented right. bullpen to a guy that with anyone really can throw up to 100 miles per hour that's insane yeah kind of a uh yeah potential for a pretty drastic shift than than what we've right. seen at certain parts of the season but i i think at least for now those are those are some some good bullpen thoughts uh and we'll continue to to keep an eye on that i, I think you're gonna see especially with those uh you know guys now in the bottom of the bullpen you may see a lot of movement there um, like Brendan mentioned, you do have some of these guys working to get back up in Barnett, Cedeno, obviously Maples, we talked about a lot. So you do have a lot of guys trying to get back into this bullpen. You've, uh, you know, got guys like Brock who are, are not performing well, like I mentioned earlier, and it'll be interesting to see what they do how they decide to proceed here. Cause you know, obviously you add Kimbrell, if you add any of these other guys, Keeping Montgomery and Chatwood both stretched out in the bullpen, it, it gets sort of hard to figure how, you know, exactly how they're going to structure all of this. Uh, you know, because if you're trying to add more of these power arms, having those two long men, um, yeah. you know, who have both, you know, admittedly been kind of hit or miss, depending on when they get out there. It'll be interesting to see how they ultimately d- decide to structure it, if they decide to keep, uh, you know, carrying the same amount of pitchers. We'll see. Uh, so it'll be something that's that's interesting to monitor. But I do want to transition uh, quickly to the starting rotation, and and I want to transition to that, Brendan, because obviously we're we're coming off. I think it was a couple episodes ago where you know Hamels and Lester had those bad starts in Houston, and we're kind of in that stretch of not so good starts, and we kind of really tried to preach the idea of let's chill out with worrying about them like you're gonna have to deal with a you know a couple of bruises along the way here for for guys like that and not to overreact they'll write the ship don't worry about it and we see that from both of them Cole Hamels was very good on Sunday uh against the Cardinals and John Lester was very good against the Angels they both give you length they're both getting K's they they both look very good so I I I think that I, I bring that up especially because you know again like you have to be okay with some starts out of the entire season not being super great. That's just, you know, uh, I think anything more than that is a pretty unreasonable standard to hold some of these guys to. But so very good to see uh, specifically Lester and Hamels come out and, and, you know, write the ship and deliver very strong starts. And I just want to read, I tweeted this out from the Cubs Insider Twitter account, at Real Cubs Insider, but I just wanted to read the last turn through the Cubs rotation uh, with Quintana going on Thursday. And Hamels goes seven innings, gives up no runs, strikes out four. Lester goes seven innings, gives up one earned run, strikes out six. Hendricks, seven innings, three earned, 10 Ks. Darvish, five and a third, two earned, five Ks. Quintana, seven and a third, three earned, four Ks. And the most walks of that group was Darvish at three, Quintana zero, Hendricks one, Lester one, Hamels two. So this was a really good turn from from this rotation. And again, I, you know, and I think I'll, I'll turn it to you because I know you wanted to talk about Darvish a little bit. You know, he's the only one in this group that doesn't get seven innings or more, but I thought it was a, a good start for him against Colorado. Yeah, no, Darvish looked great again. I think he looked better, actually, this start than the previous one, um, in, in my opinion. I, I know the fastball quantity wasn't similar to his most uh, recent start before that one, but he looked as if he was still commanding that fastball. It's just a little bit more of a strategy or a philosophical shift against Colorado there. And I thought he was exceptional. I thought the velocity was right where it should be. If you look at where Willie this time, who was catching Darvish this time, where he was setting up, he was hitting him with his fastball more consistently than what we've been seeing in the first few weeks. So Darvish has looked good. And 
as far as like Hamels and Lester, when Corey and I are talking about those two guys in particular, the one thing we always stressed was how do they look, right? And with Hamels and Lester, sometimes, as you're saying, Corey, the results are not going to be there. Like sometimes they're going to give up runs. That's how baseball operates. When you throw 30 plus starts a year, you're bound to have a few just slip up, not from your own doing, but from just natural baseball. And with Lester and Hamels, the stuff has been there consistently the entire year. Even for Cole Hamels, his changeup whiff rate, which has been his bread and butter his entire career, guess what? It's the same as what it was eight years ago. Guys are still having the same problems against Cole Hamels' changeup now as they were eight years ago. That's kind of insane to think about. And with Lester, the backdoor cutter, right? Yeah. He struck out Trout with that same pitch. You know when there's a few pitches that make these guys' careers, when you see those right now, you can expect good things going forward. And I, I think we as fans, as Cub fans, we've been conditioned the past year to think, okay, we have an aging rotation at any point. These guys could just stop being their normal selves. And we're, we're seeing that with the Pakoda projections who thought just as much, right? But I think when you look at these guys and their body of work, and with Lester and Hamels specifically being lefties, a lot of previous like all-time great pitchers who are lefties, they age well for whatever reason. And I think with Hamels and Lester, there has not been one sign this year that makes you think, oh my God, like in the next few weeks, I don't know what to expect out of these guys. Right. I'm I'm the opposite. I'm still so confident in this rotation because Hamels and Lester are looking phenomenal. Q had another strong showing, seven and one third inning against Colorado in that last game. And Darvish is looking finally kind of like the guy you expected. And if he keeps doing this, Corey, if Darvish keeps going out there and showing that fastball command, if he throws half of his pitches as sliders and cutters, so be it. I don't like it. But at the same time, if he's doing that with that fastball command, you're going to get really good results. And when that does happen, you have a rotation one to five, one to five that is on par with any other rotation in Major League Baseball. And they have the veteran presence. They have the portfolio. They have the resume to step up in big games. Even Darvish. Darvish put away the Cubs in the 2017 NLCS. Corey, I mean, he he is a big-time pitcher despite what people say. He may need to be massaged a little bit to get into that comfort zone, as he was saying. But this is such a strong pitching staff, top to bottom, and not many teams can say they have this type of veteran presence with this type of talent. And for those reasons, you have to be encouraged about this. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I wanted to read the the that last turn, all all five of their individual starts, because I, I think that, you know, again, to, to bring up something that I've been saying for you know months now, I think that that turn really represents what I've been talking about when I keep saying that they have a high floor and they're going to keep the team in the game. None of those games are nine inning complete game shutouts with eighteen strikeouts, right? But every single one of those starts is keeping the Cubs in the game, and they absolutely should have a chance to win every single one of those games easily, right? What was the maximum amount of earned runs? Three, right? Like every (laughs) single one of those starts should should be able to get this team a W, and that is what I think is the real strength of this rotation. But since you mentioned, uh, I have have two two more thoughts on Lester, uh, obviously. <laughs> That's and, it? And Only two just more? Just two. And, and then we can uh, wow. you know transition into previewing uh, the Cardinals series here. But uh, I, since you mentioned uh, Pakoda, I, I did want to, John Lester did have a, a thought on that uh, as it related to the front office pursuing 
Kimbrell, and he, you know, was talking about the performance of this team to start the season, you know, maybe kind of reminding people like, hey, like this team is definitely better than that. And he went on to say, quote, we maybe raised some awareness that we are a lot better than whatever that computer program said we were going to be. <laughs> so as I tweeted out on, on my Twitter, have I mentioned that I love John Lester before? Uh, he, he manages to find a way to kind of increase my love of him every time he says something like that. But I did also want to go back to, you know, when you were talking about their stuff and, and just seeing, you know, what they're bringing. I, that Monday start was a lot of fun if you are a, a fan of John Lester's and, and watching what he does best. And he, again, I don't like when the umpires are not good at their job. I've said this before. I don't like it when it benefits the Cubs. I don't like it when it benefits the other team. I think it's dumb that the umpires get so much wrong. But what I do love watching, you can see it in this Angels game. Lester was getting, you know, a little bit off the edge of the plate, uh, like you said, Brendan, on those cutters on the outer portion to right-handed batters. And yeah. you can tell the minute he gets one call, right, he is going to pound that spot into the ground. And that is exactly what he did. You could see routinely the Angels hitters kind of like looking back at the umpire going like, that's off the plate. And it's one of those things that we, we say this all the time where, you know, Lester is one of those guys who we give the benefit of the doubt. If the wind is blowing in at Wrigley and he gives up a lot of hard contact, Lester's one of those guys you go, maybe some of that's not on purpose, but some of it definitely is on purpose. He is, sure. he knows sure. that they can't hit it out. He's going to pitch to it. And this is one of those examples, like we saw on Monday, where you see him throwing these pitches on the outer portion repeatedly to that spot that's a little bit off, but he knows he's getting that call, and it's game on for him if he starts getting those calls. And I and I just love it because you see how cerebral he is out there. You see how his mind works, where he's like, look, it's not my, it's not my problem. If the ump is going to give me that extra <laughs> inch, I'm going to take it, and you're going to have to figure out whether you're just going to keep looking at it and getting it called or you're going to try to do something with it, which you probably won't be able to. So I just wanted to to throw that out there. I thought Monday was a fun start to watch, uh, you know, John do his thing. But I think that's about it on the starting rotation. I guess maybe I have a third note. Uh, John did go one for two, and he worked like an eight-pitch walk in that game on Monday, too. So uh, I did just— Yeah, his, uh, his, his WRC Plus is over 100. So, I mean, he's— He's an athlete, guys. He's better than Daniel Descasso. He is uh, an athlete. Just, just saying. 733 OPS Oof. on the season. Hey, you know, it's not a fluke. He's an athlete, okay? He's an athlete. I mean, he does have a good swing, not not joking yeah. around here. He does have a good Although swing. Although I, I will say, though, like Kyle Hendricks is giving him a run for his money is for, like, know. you know, guys like, performing. Hendricks' entrance is getting it done at the plate, man. Okay. So let's preview the series against the St. Louis Cardinals. So the Cardinals will come to Wrigley Field on Friday, and they'll have a 1.20 p.m. Central start time. I feel like the entire rotation here for the Cardinals, we just faced them. So Miles Mikolas will have the first start of the set against Cole Hamels. Uh, Michaelis is 4-5 and five with a 4.41 ERA. Hamels, 4-2 and two with a 3.62 ERA. Last time out, Michaelis went seven innings, gave up one run, was very good against the Cubs. On Saturday, uh, that start time is at 6.15 p.m. Central Time, and Jack Flaherty will take them out for the Cardinals. He gave up two runs in five innings against the Cubs, his last outing. John Lester, your boy, on the mound for the Cubs, 4-4 four four with a 3.32 ERA. And then on Sunday, to finish off, the three-game set, unfortunately, Corey, they're right back on Sunday Night Baseball. I mean, what is this? Like five times, four times in the past seven We're being weeks. punished for something. This I, is I don't ins- know what I it mean, is, but... Come on. Yeah. This, is ins- this is... This is... I mean, it's all at Wrigley Field, too. It's unbearable here. Okay, so we have Adam Wainwright, again, finishing off this three-game set, who is 5-5, five and five, a 4.34 ERA. He threw, what, like 120 pitches and walked six or seven guys last outing? Insane. And so Kyle Hendricks will take them out for the Cubs to face Wainwright, who's six and four with a three point one six ERA. And right now the Cardinals are two and a half games back of the Cubs at a thirty-one and twenty-nine record. The Cubs are at thirty-four and twenty-seven. 
They are tied with Milwaukee, who is 35 and 28. However, the Cubs have what is this? A point zero zero one percent better. Every bid win, counts. Uh, every bid counts. A win record over the Brewers. And other than that, the Pirates are 30 and 31. They're four games back of the Cubs, and the Reds are 28 and 33. They are six games back of the Cubs. Of course, for this series, we'll be monitoring. Uh, any correct Kimbrell news? He had his physical on Thursday. I'm sure we'll hear some more reports about that and his expected timeline. Uh, you hope to see the rotation continue to pound the strike zone as they've been doing. And you hope the Cubs, seeing the same guys again in, in the next week, they can just capitalize on that, on that, on that recency. If I got to say, if, if Wainwright has another one of those outings, I'm going to lose my mind Sunday night. I, I, there's, there's no way that happens again. And yeah, you just hope the, that the offense continues to have better at-bats. And I think ultimately, if a sweep is not out of the realm of possibility, again, seeing these same three guys within a week, that's got to count for something, Corey. Well, you got to return the favor, man. You know, they you do they, they swept us in St. Louis. You come to Wrigley and you got to return the favor. That's just, just being a good host, I think. But yeah, I, I do want a, a quick note of uh, gratitude to the Miami Marlins, who, for whatever reason, <laughs> scored like 26 runs in the first two games against yeah, the Brewers of that series. Yeah. They take two or three there, so I think anytime uh, the Brewers are playing the Marlins and you're able to pick up games while that's going on, I think that's that's always a good thing. So thanks to uh, our, our boys in Miami, I guess. I don't know. Um, but, Thank you, Starlin Castro. Yeah, and... You you mentioned it, but they, dude, they need to come out and destroy Adam Wainwright. I'm still pissed <laughs> off about that start. They should be too. Like that should not be happening no doubt. at that this no stage doubt. of his career. So I hope they come out and they just pound him out of that game early, take him deep. Like give me one of those like quintessential Rizzo home runs. Like I, I need it. I need it bad. I need them. I need the Cardinals to pay for that last weekend and like that Colton Wong catch on that Rizzo liner yeah, like that was the, the whole thing needs to be repaid that is a debt that needs to be repaid uh but yeah I mean just keep it going you know it, it was uh, a good start to this week you know taking that game uh against the Angels with with Mike Trout in town and Colorado was hot Colorado was playing good baseball so you know you get them in here you have to see them again soon uh but good to to take the series there get back to your series winning ways and yeah I think pretty simple just uh you got to return the favor to the Cardinals yes it's as simple as that one other uh, note I want to mention with David Bodie following up that that impressive series against Colorado Russell has been looking pretty good defensively out there as well and Duscalso has been kind of put on the bench for for better I think in both of our opinions here so I want to see how Bodie continues to progress he's been very good his last 50 plate appearances ever since he's ever since he made that one change with his front foot and his stride so that's encouraging to see but I'm still following closely that second base battle, I guess, if you will. Right now, I don't even know if it's a battle. I think Duscaso has been demoted to the bench in more of a utility type role, and I think right now Joe Madden's playing the matchups with uh, with with Bodie and Russell there. Also, Almora, we didn't talk about it this time, but I'm sure we will in future episodes. Almora was not playing against Colorado, and Joe Madden even said today kind of verbatim that he still thinks Al is best suited in like a platoon type role kind of uh, protecting against some particular matchups so Cargo may get more of a prominent role than we expected and I don't know if I have a strong opinion yet on that I was growing to the idea of seeing Al more out there just because the power was coming out so I think those two positions in particular center field and second base are going to be more of a revolving door, but for the time being, Hayward seems to be more of a staple out there with Al platooning, and Bodie and Russell are going to be mixing and matching with Oscalso more so on the bench, which I'm okay with right now. Yeah, agreed on that, though. I, I was kind of surprised. Elmora does get the start on Thursday, but uh, not in those other games, so I was kind of surprised right. to see him. Uh, you know, I, I, I had, you know, and we had kind of talked about this, like if he was getting hot against uh, righties in particular, you know, see if you could maybe ride that into uh, a bigger adjustment or whatever. But yeah, Joe, uh, you know, especially with Cargo joining the fold, 
opting to kind of stick with what has worked in the past. So it'll be interesting to, to keep going. Some, some interesting position battles here, uh, you know, with the bullpen and uh, some of these uh, positions uh, in the lineup. So it will obviously be interesting to see how they manage that going forward and to see how some of these guys perform uh, in relation to that. But other than that, I think that's all we have for you. Uh, three episodes, uh, you know, know. In, in, in one week already. That is... Uh, wild uh making us work we're making you and evan work that is yeah not not us brendan uh just just me (laughs) but um i so we do thank you guys for indulging us uh more often than normal uh it was as i was saying to brendan it it was fun to get on there and and do the episode last night about craig kimbrell like a, a breaking news thing it felt important which is uh not to say that the the series recaps aren't but it was uh, just sort of exhilarating to to have such a, a big topic to cover and, you know, kind of that urgency, like, we, we got to record something, like, we have to react to this. Uh, so that was cool. But uh, we appreciate you guys listening to one of the episodes, all of the episodes, whatever you guys are tuning in for, we appreciate your listenership very much. We will come to you uh, late Sunday night. You'll hear it on Monday morning after the Cubs hopefully repay the sweep of the St. Louis Cardinals. And again, as always, we thank you guys for listening and go Cubs. Hello, this is your apartment. I need some favors from you. Your cat keeps rubbing against the kitchen island and I can't return the favor. Can you give her extra pets for me? After that, could you bundle your renters and car insurance with GEICO? We could save money, and it's easy to do online. And one last thing. Could you leave the TV on during the day? I need to catch up on my soaps. GEICO. For bundling made easy, go to GEICO.com today. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. The all-new Toyota Highlander Hybrid is designed to go Highlander. What's go Highlander, you ask? It means amplifying your drive with best-in-class EPA-estimated 35 MPG combined so you can keep on keeping on wherever the road takes you. Don't just go farther. Go Highlander in the all-new Toyota Highlander Hybrid. Toyota, let's go places. 2020 Highlander Hybrid all-wheel drive, 35 city, 35 highway, 35 combined MPG EPA estimates. Actual mileage will vary. 2020 Highlander Hybrid versus 2020 competitors based on data at www.fueleconomy.gov. SF 21820.